0: Welcome back to the Hand to Shoulder podcast. I'm Cassandra Shu, and my partner today joining us for a third time is Shelly Summers, PT-CHT from our clinic. We asked Miranda Materi from Phoenix, Arizona to join us again to discuss a component of graded motor imagery with a focus on mirror box therapy. Miranda works at Hand Therapy Partners as owner and OT. She also co-partners with Josh McDonald of Hand Therapy Academy, who's also been a guest speaker on our podcasts with Extensor Tendons. Shelly, this is a difficult topic because
1: it's oftentimes not well understood or utilized to its greatest extent. Cassie, I agree. It's similar to the diagnosis that we treat with Mirbox and is not oftentimes straightforward. And one case is definitely not like the next. Um, you'll notice when listening to this episode that it's not a black and white outline, just like a CRPS patient or a traumatic nerve recovery patient. But bear with us and you won't be disappointed in the content. We hope you enjoyed tuning in to Miranda.
0: Okay, welcome back to the show. Uh, good morning, Shelly. Good morning. Shelly is joining us again today in place of Steve, uh, backed by popular demand for number three today. <laughs> okay, so today we have um, Miranda Materi from Phoenix, Arizona with Hand Therapy Partners, and she's going to be talking to us about a component of graded motor imagery, uh, which is mirror, th- mirror box therapy or mirror visual feedback so, we're going to welcome her back here. And, you know, we really like to pick, you're going to see a, a very common theme in our episodes here that we like to pick speakers and topics that we're not well rehearsed in. And I feel like this is an area that I really forget about a lot. And when I do remember, it's hard to get that buy in from the patient. So, we're just going to dabble into what mirror box therapy is and uh, what we can do with it with our patients.
2: Um, so, uh, welcome back to the show, Miranda. Yeah. Thank you um, for having me. I always think it's a good opportunity um, to teach, which I enjoy doing, but also I always learn something when I have to do these <laughs> or when yeah, I get you, to them, I should say. Right. And there's a lot of
0: prep that goes into these episodes and it's amazing what you forget when you don't use something for a while. Like, oh, I, I wish that I would remember the mirror box therapy sometimes. Right. Right. And, you
2: know, we try to stay up on the evidence and things like that. And there's so many things we see. But when you're like, what's the most recent evidence? So then I'm going back in and looking and it's always very educational for everyone. Right, for sure. Okay, why don't we get started with uh, what is the
0: mirror box therapy or and what is the difference between the names of mirror box therapy and mirror visual feedback?
2: Yeah, I think so mirror. So when you said the visual, um, like the visual motor integration, that was the work that was done by Mosley, and he talks about how you break um, visual motor integration down into three separate categories. And it's where you start by first doing um, the right-left discrimination, and then you move on to visualization, and then you move into um, the mirror therapy. But most of the research or kind of the overarching thing is the mirror box, right, or using some type of mirror And so when we say, I think a lot of the newer research is saying more um, mirror neuron-based rehab versus mirror box therapy, because not everyone has a box, right? It's sometimes just a mirror that's standing up. And then um, that the mirror box therapy was... Originally done by Rama Chandra. Um, and I think he's at UCLA now, but he was out of India. And so a lot of that work has evolved into more um, I guess a more broad term where it's mere neuron-based therapy. So kind of changing that. But I think for therapy purposes, um most of the time we do have kind of a box type setup, or I don't know if you've seen where it's like the triangle type shape. And Basically what mirror box therapy is, is you develop the square or the triangle and then you put the affected hand inside where the person can't see it. And then they put the non-involved hand in front of the mirror. And then they're looking in the mirror and seeing that mirror image to reflect a healthy hand when um, the other one might not appear as healthy. So it's been used with a lot of different diagnoses. I think um, you kind of made a list, which was CRPS, amputations, stroke, um even like patients with spasticity, those types of things that can be used with. Does that kind of make sense? Sometimes I think it's hard too if you don't have a mirror box to show someone, because I think they really have the aha moment when they stick their hand in the box and then they see their uninvolved reflection and you're like, oh, that's my healthy it looks like my healthy hand. Sure. So for our listeners who've never heard of mirror box before, if
0: you're a new grad, what is the mirror box made of and how can you do it yourself at home? And like, what's the design? Can you, can you kind of um, paint a picture for that?
2: Yeah, I think so. You can buy, you know, you can buy them off Amazon. I think they're like $70 or different ones, but also um, when I'll have patients make them, because a lot of the mirror protocols have you using it, you know, 10, 15 minutes a day, which, you know, our patients aren't usually in the clinic every single day. So the patients will have to make one. So I'll even say, you know, take a box, you know, um, usually it's maybe try to get a box that's about 14 inches by 14 inches and put a mirror on the side of it. And it can even be a framed mirror, like a mirror that you hold up, you know, like a vanity type mirror, but it needs to be fairly large and glue it to the side. Um, There's also like videos where you can make your own with You know, you can make a wood frame if you have someone that's handy and go to like, they usually have remnants from mirror stores where you can glue it on the side or even like a full length mirror you can get and put beside like a countertop, you know, and put your bad hand on one side and the other one. So there's different ways you can make them. And I'll usually talk through it with the patient and just ask him like, oh, do you have some boxes at home? Or even I brought in boxes, you know, from all my Amazon ordering I'll bring in boxes for them or just like a cheap even like a two or three dollar mirror that you can get you know at the store you can glue on the side so it can be pretty low tech. I think the most important thing is that the mirror is flat you know you don't want any curvatures in it to where it makes the limb look larger or smaller than what it is Um, but it can be pretty simple and pretty inexpensive.
1: You talked about moving from mirror box therapy to laterality training. And I I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but when do you find it appropriate to move on to the next, um, the next item or where do you start? Can you take us through that process?
2: Yeah. I, I know from Mosley's work, you know, he says that, and I think this is something we're pretty good at doing as a therapist, but you want to be able to to pivot, so you don't necessarily have to be stuck in one phase. So his work originally said, and um, in, in some of our hand therapy study groups, uh, people will talk about this a lot. That you first need to do the flashcards, and basically the flashcards are images of hands, and the person or there. There's apps for it now, right? There's recognize and orientate, and they're basically where you click through and you try to decide if this hand is right or left, and then you know you put them in a pile and see how many they got correct or um, incorrect. And, um, that's the first step. And then what, um, Mosley was saying, once you get good at that, when you're um, fairly accurate, then you move to the next step where you're just visualizing your hand being pain-free and doing, um, typical things. And then from that, and once you can do that, then you move on to the mirror box. But honestly, I think the most important part is the mirror box. So, Um, but I do know, I do have patients sometimes that will stick their hand in the mirror box and then they're like, it's, even though they're not moving the involved hand, they're saying it's hurting. So then I might go back to some of the visualization and the laterality training. But I really think where most of the research has shown is that the mirror part is the most important part and the laterality and the cards and the visualization is important, but maybe not as um, important, So it's kind of knowing your patient and, and where they're at and then making sure you're telling your patient why you're doing it. Right. So if like I remember one time I had a surgeon um, walk over to the clinic and he's like, I want you to do that like voodoo mirror therapy thing you do. <laughs> Right. And then I know I'm already kind of set up for failure because how am I going to get this patient to buy in when the doctor is telling me this is a voodoo therapy? Right, right. In front of the patient, right? In front of the patient. So then I like have to sit down and like go over the research and kind of why we're doing it. And we talk about the mirror neurons and the somatosensory cortex and all those things to get the buy in.
1: Can you kind of give me an example? Let's pretend I'm your patient. What would you say to me? I think that's where I struggle a little bit is getting the patient to buy in so they don't think I'm some voodoo person. Can you kind of just <laughs> tell me what you would tell your patient? Yeah. And I guess I kind of try to tailor it
2: to the patient. So if I'm seeing, like, do you think, am I seeing you for an amputation or CR, what's your, are you, which one are you um, going to be? Le- let's say I'm a CRPS patient. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So with the CRPS patients, I tell them, um, you know, basically with this type of um, problem that you're having, there's been studies showing, you know, functional MRIs and things like that showing that your somatosensory cortex is a little blurred. And so I'll even like draw a little picture of the somatosensory cortex and I'll make little boxes and show like there's a blurring between the two boxes. And then I'll say, and there's been studies showing that when you do a mirror box and you're looking... You're looking in the mirror and you're doing the therapy um, and you're not moving that hand so it doesn't hurt and it doesn't um, elicit that pain response it basically reorganizes and makes the boxes nice and square again so and then i say and you know there's lots of studies on it um, and i'm like i always even say i'm happy to share them with you it, and i tried and i tell them it really works but i also tell them it doesn't work for everyone. So if this isn't something that's going to work for you, I want you to, you know, you can tell me that, but I want you to at least give me two weeks. So give me two weeks to try this. If it's not going well, or within that week, if they're having significantly more pain, then I'll say, you know, we can discontinue this because we know with CRPS, we don't want to um, have the pain response going.
0: So the boxes, just for not saying necessarily for layman terms, um, how would you explain that? What's what's the reorganization of the brain? Is that where you're talking about the smudging that's occurring? Yes. Okay. Can you yeah, talk a little bit more say. about that?
2: Yeah. yeah. So um, with a lot of, even when you wear, like I was reading a study where the person wore a brace for like two days and they actually showed just from wearing a brace that there was changes in the somatosensory cortex. So, what we put on our hands and what we do with our hands affects the brain very much and vice versa, right? The ba- So there's I think as like hand therapists, we get into like especially being like orthopedic trained, um, like I'm always like looking more through like a orthopedic context. I'm not thinking about the brain as much, right? But I think as more and more research comes out and as you know, therapists were getting more educated, we are looking more at how the brain interacts with the hand and those types of things. So, um, basically what this, this one study with the cats was saying that with that, there's smudging of the motor cortex. So meaning when you look at the, um, the homunculus, you know, that image of the hand and the, the hands really close to the face, um, with that, there's no longer like a clear delineation, like this is my index finger, this is my long finger. It kind of smudges those two fingers together, right? So there's not a clear delineation for the patient to know this is how I move my index, this is how I move my long. So sometimes they'll even have like spasticity where they can't move um, one digit down. And then you can do the mirror box for a week or so and um, you'll notice that they have a much improved awareness of that finger. Does that make sense, Cassie? Or if you yeah. have something to add? No, I like that. I like that. That's
0: kind of where I wanted to get that feedback as far as what can we tell the therapist? Like what is chemically changing in the brain? Mm-hmm. Um, like because th- you're going to use so many different words to explain this to a patient in layman terms, right. what's actually what's the chemical breakdown, the physiological breakdown that's happening, you know, if I were talking to another therapist. So that's what I was looking for. Thank you.
2: Yeah, and with that, like since we're kind of talking about the homunculus, One thing that I was also reading too is about um, like amputees. So if you have a upper limb amputee, sometimes I think it was 25 to 30% will experience um, when they touch their face, they can feel their hand, their missing hand. So, and that's just because, you know, the hand and the face are so close on the monkey which I thought was really fascinating, right?
0: Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Okay. So we talked a little bit about different diagnoses that would benefit from this mirror box, CRPS, um, just nerve pain from nerve repairs, from lacerations in general, um, amputations. What's your experience with amputations? Like, let's say like we're a hand clinic, right? So if they're missing, let's say they have their thumb and their small finger, but they're missing the other three in the middle. What is an example of that?
2: Um, So I will say, like, I found that when people have like the a burning pain. I don't think Mirbox is as helpful. Of course, like I said, every patient is different, so you can always give it a try, but I found it more helpful when they're having like the spasticity and like the cramping type pain. You know, so or where they're feeling like more of kind of the phantom limb type um sensations. And I think Mirbox has been shown to be very effective. There's tons and tons of research on it. Um But where I think it's hard with the research is how long you should do it for, right? There's some studies that say you need to do six times a day for two hours. And then there's some studies that say you only have to do once for one time a day for 10 minutes. So it's kind of, and then where do you go from there? And I usually tell my patients, do it two times a day for 10 to 15 minutes, because I know anything beyond that they're not going to do, right? Yeah. (laughs) Typically. (laughs) Or, you know, if you have someone that's really good about it, you know, you could probably increase that. But if, and then I've had patients where they've really liked it and then they started increasing their time because it was so helpful. And then other questions I'll get from patients like, well, is this something I have to do for the rest of my life? You know, and I'll tell tell them, or as a therapist, if a patient asks you that, no, just, you know, when you're having symptoms, basically.
1: I see a lot of amputee patients at our clinic and in my experiencing In my experience, pulling out the mirror box with them is psychologically. Some of my patients can't can't adjust to that. You know, they've adjusted to now not having a a limb or digits, Uh and the second I pull that mirror box out, it is it is very emotional for the patient because they're visualizing something that they've told their brain is not there, and oftentimes we we just I can't do it with them because they emotionally can't handle that. At that point. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, I yeah, that's a good point that you make. Um, and something that I think we need to be aware of. Um, and I yeah, I think it's just like, you know, tell, you know, it's kind of part of that acceptance thing too. And I think that's especially hard early on. But when they're having, you know, that severe like phantom spasticity, I'm like, well, you you know, just I think reiterating that this can really be beneficial. And we kind of want your brain to see your hand as being whole. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, even though that's hard to do sometimes. Um, Yeah, especially I think for younger amputees, it's very hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I found the younger population is more emotional than the older population. I feel like they can grasp it a little bit easier, when they, whether it's a CRPS injury and they're laid up longer from work or if it's an amputation, like they just seem to not, I don't want to say understand it, but emotionally um, Process. pre-process it better. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right about that. And then, you know, educating the patients on the, you know, I always tell them, you know, your brain is soft wired. This is, you know, like we want to think that we can't change the brain, but in fact, we really can change the brain, you know, through our thoughts and through mirror therapy and those things, it really has been studied. And lots of studies have shown that the brain is, has a lot of plasticity in. A part of that is, you know, getting the patient to buy in and to believe in it.
1: Sure. I think another diagnosis this is beneficial for is I have a few patients right now, like metacarpal fracture, distal radius fracture that are showing some early signs maybe of CRPS or some unwillingness to move and just having their involved hand in there and moving their uninvolved. It's almost, it's it's a distracting thing for them to see their involved hand move. So therefore, within that box, I visualize their hand moving better.
2: Yeah, you know, you, so- I, you're absolutely right. And a lot of the newer research, like I just found a randomized control study showing that even for just hand trauma, mirror box is very
1: helpful. Yes, I, I, would, I would agree. And I think it, that's probably where I find it. Maybe we're not using it enough because I think we see much more than maybe CRPS amputee patients. We see fractures. We -hmm. see injuries just involving a lot of edema or unwillingness to move because they're fearful of moving, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think think making that a broader scope of, of it can be almost for any one of our patients, I think at the right time.
2: Yeah, I think that's correct. And even you know, you'll get those patients out and they're like, they have such poor awareness of their proprioception and things like that. I think it can be very beneficial.
0: Miranda, in your experience, based on the diagnoses that we've covered so far, you know you're gonna have those trophic changes the hot, the cold, the discoloration, maybe a little bit of um hypertrophy, maybe some atrophy has using the mirror box, what have you noticed has helped when they do the mirror box? What are those symptoms that are relieved?
2: Oh wow, I I don't think it's like, you know, I, it's hard because it's usually not an instantaneous thing, but it's mostly, I don't, the physical changes I think come later, but it's more starting with kind of like the, I would say like the emotional changes and kind of the brain seeing that their hand is somewhat, um, I kind of hate that we say normal, but somewhat typical or what it should be. I think some of those changes are what happens first because then the patients are like, oh, this is kind of cool. I'm seeing seeing my hand the way it used to be. Um, so I see those, you see those subjective things that the patient's saying. I think the objective stuff comes later. And um, when you're grading it, you know, I always make sure that we are kind of, we're usually using a visual analog scale of pain before and after and seeing if it's mostly helping with their pain first. Um, before seeing some of those trophic changes that you're talking about. Okay. So number one, you'd say the pain calms down. Yeah. I would say that's the number one. And then same with all of these, like the laterality chain um, training and stuff like that. I try to have some objective measures when we start. So that way we really know. So if we're doing it for um, say spasms or something like that, I'll ask the patient you know, it is so subjective though, but how many times are you having the spasms per day? How long do they last for? Um, and then that way we can kind of quantify it, you know, in a couple of weeks to see if those symptoms have improved or changed. Otherwise, I think sometimes patients don't realize, you know, the difference between having four or five spasms today to one or two, right? Like sometimes I think it's sometimes hard when you're living with it day in and day out to really notice the changes um, unless we kind of have some of those written down and you can remind the patient, well, last week you told me your pain was, you know, a seven out of ten, and this week you're telling me it's a five.
1: Sure. Mm-hmm. Do you take it beyond pain? And this is something I guess I'm just thinking about as I sit here and we have this discussion, but do you do it, do it for sensation? Like do you do like maybe a SEMs Weinstein or a two-point and then have them within the box doing sensory changes to or you know, various sensation to the uninvolved yeah. change the involved. I
2: think that's interesting. And no, I haven't done that, but yeah. have you guys, I think that would be interesting to do
1: though. Yeah. <laughs> I have a few patients right now that in my head I'm thinking about as we have these discussions and I'm just curious if that would impact because it, it goes with the same plasticity, mm-hmm. the same things that we were talking about. and, and I would Right. Yeah, definitely. Like, like there's definitely a disorganization of
2: motor patterns and the disorganization of sensory patterns. So yeah, I think that would be helpful as well. I do think, um, kind of, this is kind of subjectively, but the patients that have more motor problems are, they are, mirror box is more beneficial than some of the sensory stuff, but that's, I don't know if there's any research showing that or not. That's just kind of what I think, mm-hmm. um, clinically speaking, what I've seen. And I guess
0: I can contribute a little bit to, I did have a patient uh, that I did stereognosis with, with the mirror Uh box. So they could not necessarily distinguish what the object was, but maybe they could feel it, maybe not the dimensions, maybe not necessarily explain what it was. But when you put the same object in the other hand, oh yeah, well, that's a marble. Well, it feels like a cotton ball in the other hand, you know, so you could kind of play the game that way as far as uh, object identification.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great idea. But that would be
0: the end stages of healing, of course. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah. No, I think that's great, though. I think that's another, you know, these are all like tools in our toolbox. (laughs) I think that's a great one. Sure. Um,
0: Back to the cards. So you had talked about there's apps to look at the cards for the three steps of the graded motor imagery. Um, So way back when, when mirror box therapy really became a thing in our clinic, probably, gosh, at least five, six years ago now, one of our therapy aides took some time out of her day to make handmade cards by cutting out pictures from old magazines and newspapers, yeah. and we rent these cards out as part of the program. Um, what is your recommendations for either homemade cards, or if do you know the names of the apps that uh, therapists can provide to patients?
2: Yeah, so one is Orientate, and the other one is Recognize. Um, And I think recognize is spelled with an S. I'll have to double check. But so those are the two apps. And we have like a therapy iPad um, that we use so patients can kind of see the apps and play around with them first before buying. Or sometimes we'll use our phones, too. Um, And they're both free I think the recognized one you have to put money on if you want to go to some of the higher levels. But the nice thing about those is it gives you a score afterwards. You know, like with the, I don't know when, because I have some flashcards too kind of similar to what you were talking about with the pictures. And then we were, you know, putting them in piles and counting to try to make it kind of objective. But um, also, like I've told patients to look through magazines and when they see hands to try to um, say if it's right or left. So yeah, it can be low tech or high tech.
1: The patients that I've had really love the app because it gives them a graph and it gives them a number and, you know, they're very motivated to beat that and get Yeah, yeah,
2: I agree. Yeah. And most people have a smartphone now, so. Yeah. Yeah. And it probably counts
0: how many times they've been into the app, how long they're using it. So it's a good tracker too to see if they're being compliant, right? Oh yeah, that's true, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) We always have to have proof nowadays, right? That is very true, isn't it? (laughs)
2: Is there any other research that you'd like to share that you've come across? Oh, gosh. So I did read – I think I talked about this, but I'll just kind of recap a little bit on it. There was a meta-analysis done, um, which, you know, is like the granddaddy, the research, like the meta-analysis, the randomized controlled trial. There was one done um, in 2022 saying – that it may be helpful for hand trauma. So I think that's um, kind of, you know, where we see a lot of trauma. It can be very helpful. But also know that um, there's some research, too, like with the um, visual motor integration where you're doing the three steps, there isn't as good of, like, there's been some other studies done since those have come out saying that's maybe not as good. Right. So I think with all with everything that we do, I think there's you can always find some evidence supporting it and some not. Um, and it's really, I think as therapists, we're good at this, but knowing what's working for your patient and seeing if those objective changes are improving or not. So yes, there is, you can find research supporting it for CRPS, um, trauma, uh, amputees, stroke. There's a ton of research for hemiplegia with mirror box therapy. Yeah. So if you see any CVAs or stroke patients, there is a ton of good research um, in that area. And I think that's because there's, you know, a lot of volume with those patients. So yeah, I think there's a lot of good research out there that you can find if you need it to support what you're doing. Um, But also know that it's not for every patient and it's not for everyone. Can you guys hear me okay? Now you're back on. We lost you there for a moment. Oh, no. <laughs> I was just, my last highlight was it's, it's, there's good research supporting all of it, but it's, it's not for every patient and it's not for everyone, right? So if it's not working sure. with your patient, pivot and do something else.
0: Okay. Do you ever get orders from the doctor specifically for CRPS that says use mirror or or um, anything along with graded motor imagery? Never. never, ever,
2: ever. (laughs) How about you guys?
0: No, I feel like CRPS, it's not always diagnosed right away, but when it is, it's just the verbiage CRPS. Like it's up to us to kind of use these tools. So I feel like being educated to get, you know, the awareness of starting it sooner than later is kind of on us, not necessarily. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You're absolutely right. They say like the number one thing for improving CRPS symptoms is early intervention with pain management with our services. So, yeah, but I don't think I've ever got, especially from an orthopedic surgeon, for mere you know never for mere box
0: therapy. And I'm, I'm not sure how many of our aid surgeons here listen to our podcast, but this might be one that we just drop into their email, say, uh, have you heard of mirror box? You know, what is your take on it? Have you read any research on it? And just get a little bit, bit of feedback from them. Yeah.
2: And I think um, for like CRPS patients and even early on for amputees, they thought like for so for CRPS, they, you know, sometimes think it's like a psychological thing you know, where you're like, oh, the patient, you know, is a little like maybe off or a little different. And then even with the amputees early on, when they were having those phantom limbs, they kind of thought the people were a little crazy, right? They kind of thought it was like a psychological thing, which we know, you know, it, it can be tied to some psychology stuff, but really, you know, by, um, like with the biochemistry and those types of things, there is change. You know, there's definitely changes in the brain that occur with CRPS. There's changes in the number of glial cells with um, CRPS. So there's definitely some things going on that show that it is not just a psychological problem. It's a physiological problem. And I think even telling your patients, I know you're not crazy, like is validating to them.
1: And I think that's the biggest thing is that oftentimes people hear the CRPS, RSD, whatever, you know, diagnosis, Mm -hmm. and they immediately think, they think I'm crazy, you know, or, or, (laughs) you know, somebody hears it and they go, oh goodness, what what are we getting ourselves into? And, and, and I think that it is one of those things that are, like you said, early intervention. I think that's something personally myself that I need to do better at. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I just actually had a patient yesterday that I left the session saying early signs of CRPS. Like that was my assessment of the patient and and you know early intervention now, getting this patient to buy in. I just find that, you know, once I recognize it's something, how am I going to talk my patient into doing laterality cards, you know, and saying yeah. how important this is? And I, I think that's something that I need to strengthen as a therapist is my how I get my patient to buy into it. Cause I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm explaining it good enough to them oftentimes for them to be truly compliant with it.
2: Yeah, I agree. It is hard. And I think I've left sessions like that too, thinking, gosh, I was not a good therapist. You know, I need to go, especially when you're writing your notes at the end of the day, you always have those reflective moments. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then I'll like call the person or I'll tell the scheduler, hey, can you just give me an hour with that person next time? So I can really you know, sh- show them and educate them. And also, I think showing that we care as providers is a really big part of what we do. Sure. Mm-hmm. So
0: Shelly here works with our prosthetics and amputations in our clinic with, uh, of our staff. And so Shelly, oh. this question's for you. Do you have your amputation patients wear their prosthetics when they're inside the box just to get a feel for items of like, uh,
1: no, no. I, I haven't done that at all, and, and like I said, in in my time doing the the amputee patients here, my experience in pulling out the mirror box often doesn't end positively. Okay. And you know maybe it's something that I'm bringing it out too early. You know or maybe they haven't fully accepted that. Um, it oftentimes ends in the patient. You know go, they're in that getting a, some more denial phase coming, and they get angry. Of I finally accepted my hands not there, and now you're showing it to me, and you're confusing me, and And it has ended not well. So therefore, I don't find I'm pulling it out as often now Mm -hmm. unless, you know, I have the patient kind of like Miranda had said that feels like their hand is being crushed or pulled or, you know, something like that, um, that then I would bring it out again. But oftentimes at that point, the patient already has a negative image of that mirror box and they don't want to do it Mm -hmm. at Mm -hmm. that point. I guess I was thinking
0: like, okay, so you're missing your index in your middle, and now you have a naked prosthetic mm-hmm. on replacing those two. You have a tennis ball in your good hand, but you don't know how to spin the ball in your, your affected hand. So maybe that ball is in your affected inside the mirror box. You know, I was just kind of thinking like coordination-wise, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think I haven't done that because you know, on, the, on the prosthesis, there's no sensation you know, uh, so sure, they truly sure. do have to adapt their ability to do it and compensate elsewhere because of that, that loss. That sensibility, mm-hmm. and you need your visual component for that.
2: Yeah, so, definitely. Okay. That's good. Yeah, and that's something else we didn't talk about is when you're doing mirror box to have them remove their jewelry and stuff from uh, the – That's one, and pull their sleeve up so it really can look like they're, you know, the other hand. Mm-hmm. Kind that's of tricking the brain. Yeah, I think about that too. Mm-hmm. What about – um? So with your prosthetic patients, are you seeing
1: a lot of um, phantom stuff or do you see mostly like the burning pain? I'd say both. yeah, Probably 50-50. You know, I have patients that will come in and say my phantom limb pain was really great today mm-hmm. or, you know, I'm doing better. And then next time they're like, oh my gosh, my my ring and my small finger are just burning or mm-hmm. they're painful or they feel like they're pulling. And I think oftentimes that that is because of how, what was the mechanism that they, that they lost these, this digit or digits on. And oftentimes that's how they remember their hand being pulled or crushed or that last sensation is there. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I can't, I can't say I'm using it probably not enough. And again, I think it's just goes back to the, the psychological component for them. Yeah. An emotional response is tough.
2: Yeah, that that's very true. And I think, you know, if they're not having like the spasticity and some of those, like you said, the cramping stuff, it's kind of like, well, I don't really find it as beneficial, especially for burning burning pain. I can, you know, I've never found it beneficial. Mm-hmm. So, but I also think just wearing the prosthetic helps with the desensitization, right? Absolutely. And they say if you give those nerves a job to do, then they're much happier versus mm-hmm. they're kind of like, what's my job now, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Yeah. It kind of reroutes that feedback that they're getting. It's not just kind of sitting out in space.
2: Yeah. Are your doctors doing some of the TMR surgeries? No, we haven't done that
1: at this point at our clinic.
2: Yeah, that's kind of. I'm just kind of interested in that area. We have a
1: lot of amputees too, but not a lot of um, surgeons doing the TMR stuff. I think it's one of those up and coming things, and there's only select surgeons that are doing it. (laughs) And and I think that some of our I'm not trying to pick on our surgeons. Some of our older surgeons aren't really interested at this point of learning something, something new. So we've referred out for people doing that need TMR.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I do feel like the um, therapists that take care of upper limb amputees is kind of a small group. So if you're ever interested in connecting or have new stuff, let me know. I know there's even some um, protocols that have come out for some TMR stuff, but I guess we're not really seeing a lot of it. so. So for our listeners, especially the newbies, do you want to explain what TMR is? Sure. Yeah. Then shall you can help me with this too. <laughs> but it's basically, you know, plugging in the nerve in some different areas so you can start trying to get maybe some feeling, you know, so into some of those, like you might plug um, into like a continuous nerve junction. So it's basically targeted um, integration. So you may... Plug the nerve into like um, a part of say it's like a transmetacarpal amputee. So plug it into like one of those um, sensory type nerves, so that way they're kind of getting the sensation of like they're feeling again. Or sometimes they'll coapt it into a motor nerve, so that way they don't develop the neuroma. Okay,
1: just rerouting. Mm-hmm. How, that's how yeah. rerouting of nerves I think would be the best.
2: Yeah. Sometimes they'll put it into a yeah a sensory nerve into a motor nerve, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And so is way
2: they don't, I think it's really successful and so the patient doesn't develop neuromas too and when is that surgery usually indicated? I think they're doing it pretty early if they can, like right even sometimes I think when they experience the amputee. what's your experience I, I think
1: they I think they want to do it more early on. I have had a patient that oh I don't even know how long he was he was missing his he was a transradial um It was fairly, it was, it was pretty late on. And I think some of that was, was our surgeon wasn't going to do it here. I had connected him with a prosthetist. The prosthetist had brought it up. Then we had to get that referral for out for a different surgeon. Um, so it was, I want to say eight months, maybe following injury that, that it, that it was finally brought in. Um, and I, they, I think some of that is they want to try everything possible before having another surgery.
2: Yeah, that's true. And I think too, like it can be after they develop a neuroma, they can excise the neuroma and plug it into another nerve. You know, as before they might like bury it in the metacarpal or put a cap on it, but then those always seem to come back. You know, they have a high reoccurrence rate. So I think the TMR has decreased the recurrence rate of the neuromas. So it could even be done later on, I believe. Yeah. Probably something we should learn more about. Yeah. I need to learn more about.
1: I, I would agree, but I think it is just one of the kind of an up and coming thing, you know, and, and again, not a lot of people are doing it. So I don't think there's, there's um that information out there.
2: Yeah. And, and
1: if it is like, kind of like you said, I need to do better at, at understanding that. Yeah. And finding it. Yeah.
0: Well, Miranda, is there any other takeaways or clinical
2: pearls regarding mirror box that you want to add? Um, no, I think like we talked about, it's important to explain, get the patient to buy in before even pulling out the box, you know, (laughs) talking with them about it, asking if they're interested in trying it, um, you know, just say, this is something I found successful. So patient buy in, um, it also knowing that it's not, um, the cure for everyone or the solution for everyone. So, you know, choose, um, try it with your patient. If it's not working pivot, um, and that it can be used for a lot of different diagnoses.
0: You know, it might be worthy of our time to make a handout. Like, this is how you make a do-it-yourself box. These, oh, are, yeah. the, these are the apps that you can download. This is, These are the cost of the apps. Or you can make your own cards. This is how you make your own cards. Because when you talk about all of this in one sitting, so not only do you have, let's say you have CRPS. So you explain what CRPS is. Okay, now you need to do this program. Now you need to buy this app. And you need to do these cards. You know, maybe it might be worthy of don't panic. Here's handouts. Read it
2: at your own pace, at your own time. Yeah, that's a great idea. That would be a great part for patient education. And then maybe even cite some of the reasons why, you know. Sure, sure. Attached is 20 pages of research. No, okay. kidding. <laughs> we
0: There's won't overlap
2: anymore. Of it. Yeah, I think that would be very helpful <laughs> for all of our patients, for any patient that we're using it with.
1: Sure. Anything else you want to add, Shelly? No, I think that just... Early on thought process of mirror box and patient buy-in, I think that that that's best. Sure. Yeah. Those
2: are kind of the most important parts. And then having a good spiel for the patient, you know.
1: they got to practice that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then tailoring it to them. I always use other <laughs> patients too. I don't know if you guys do that. We were like, well, I had a patient before similar to you, you know, in different some way. And then like talking about their successes and what they experienced with it. Mm-hmm, sure. mm mm-hmm. Okay. Well, great. Well, Miranda, you did not disappoint. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks, you guys, for having me. Um, I always enjoy it.
0: Yeah. This is Miranda's second time, if you haven't uh, reached out to episode number 11, and her other partner, Josh, I believe, was episode number five. And uh, the two of them have been fantastic with us. Um, and we appreciate your time this morning. It's it's pretty early in Phoenix right now. It's about... Uh, Close to to 7 a.m. now at this point, but Miranda joined us a little before 6, and we really appreciate her time today out of the clinic to to talk with us about mirror box therapy.
2: Yeah, and also we appreciate you putting out all these podcasts. I always tell students to listen to them, and I found a lot of people say how helpful it is to have you guys as a resource. So thank you for doing them. Oh, yeah, no problem. Well, you have a great rest of your week, Miranda. Thanks for joining us this morning. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, take care. Bye.
0: That was a tough one. I can say for myself, I need to be better at remembering to utilize Mirbox and get better at early intervention and
1: educating patients with that buy-in. I agree, Cassie. This is something that all therapists need to be using more. I think now with better access to apps on smartphones, hopefully that will increase our patients' compliance. Now, Miranda emailed over two
0: research PDFs to reference regarding Mirbox. They will be located in our show notes for you to access at your convenience. We hope you enjoyed listening to her again, and thank you, Miranda, for joining us. Next up, Shelley will be partnering with me again for Virginia O'Brien to discuss dynamic stability and the rehabilitation of the thumb.